This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 416. Thanks to Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus, for sponsoring this episode. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce your joint pain, joint stiffness, and improve your flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. And you can save 15% by visiting Prevenex.com and using the code MTA at checkout. Look for Joint Health Plus over at Prevenex.com and use the code MTA. Thanks to MetPro Nutrition Coaching for sponsoring the podcast. You can speak with a metabolic expert about your goals and get actionable steps towards fueling for performance, losing weight, adding muscle, or changing your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. Hey, if you're traveling this summer, look for the Drury Hotels. They have over 150 hotels in 26 states across the U.S., and you can get 15% off your stay with the code RUN, that's R-U-N, or use our link, druryhotels.com MTA. When you stay there, you can get all these great freebies, free breakfast, Wi-Fi, dinnertime snacks, soft drinks, adult beverages, and popcorn are all free at Drury Hotels. Check them out. Go to druryhotels.com MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to conquer the marathon and change your life. In this episode, we speak with Sally McRae, professional mountain runner and author of the book, Choose Strong, The Choice That Changes Everything. And just a reminder, as an Academy member, you can get access to all of our back podcast episodes going all the way back to episode one, as well as our training plans at all distances, including 50K and 50 miles, and support from our awesome online community. Find out how to become a member when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. Well, we're happy to have Sally McRae back on the podcast. Before we play that interview, let's give some shout outs. We always love to hear what fellow runners are doing. Angie, what do you have for us? This comes from an Academy member. She says, I took part in my very first relay yesterday. We had an awesome day running from coast to coast in the very north of Germany. I'm going to kick it over to Trevor for the pronunciation of this place. Yeah, well, the race is called Lauf zwischen den Meeren. It just means the run between two seas, from the North Sea to the Baltic. She says it's about 90 kilometers. She says it's a very beautiful race, very scenic. We split the 10 legs between seven runners, so I was lucky to be running two legs. And thanks to the coaching by MTA coach Abby, I was able to run both legs as fast as I would never have imagined. And I was feeling so good. Never limit where MTA coaching can take you. (laughs) And that comes from Margot. Love it. This comes from a member named Luis. He says, yesterday I completed a trail marathon on an island in the Azores. The center and end of the race was a volcano area and incredible to run around. It was the toughest and most difficult run I've done in the last four decades. Rain, high winds, lots of mud, very narrow, and long trails and plenty of stairs going up and down. But I finished 46th out of 135 runners and was first in my age group. Thanks to my wife and son for their cheering. And thanks to my MTA coach, Henry, for prepping me for this run. I couldn't have done it without him. I highly suggest you all come here next year. Wow a trail marathon in the Azores. Yeah, that's hard to argue with that. He just posts some amazingly beautiful pictures. Really has a gorgeous area to run, but obviously very challenging terrain as well. And this final message comes from a longtime Academy member named Marty. 
He says, hello, MTA family. I wanted to share my experience for those who are not sure what they're capable of yet. Before I discovered the joy of running, I was an overweight, depressed man who lacked self-confidence and quit every time life situations got hard. I joined the MTA community and began working with Coach Lynn in early 2018, immediately after my first marathon, which was a suffer fest. He says, I had discovered the podcast during my training and knew that I needed a coach if I wanted to get better at marathons. I did marathon number two about three months later and got a 30-minute PR. I also learned what marathon maniacs were, and Coach Lynn helped me be able to run three marathons in two months in the fall of that year to become a maniac. At some point a year or so later, I ran my first trail race at a Ragnar trail relay and discovered a whole new world. I learned about the Keys 100 at that race because it had a 100-mile relay option. I remember talking about it with some teammates that we would love to run the relay as a team, but we were scared of running 25 miles each in that heat. I also ran my first trail 50K the following year thanks to Coach Lynn's help. I eventually moved over to MTA Coach Henry, and he helped me prepare for even longer distances as I ran 60K and even registered for a 50-miler. You can see how things have escalated. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I DNF'd my first two attempts at 50 milers, I finally broke through learning the importance of proper fueling and hydration. Now, fast forward just over two weeks ago, I finished my second 100 miler, the Keys 100 miler. It was hot, up to 97 degrees during the day and 100% humidity. It's amazing what the human body is capable of with proper training. I had zero cramps or any real issues other than some Achilles pain that slowed me down. It's crazy how much my goals have escalated since I joined this community. I have learned so much from my coaches, the podcast guests, and this awesome community. Failure isn't fatal. I have bigger goals to pursue and will do so with great enthusiasm. I hope to inspire others to step out of their comfort zone and do something scary. I have learned that when things get tough, relentless forward progress will get you through it. Yeah, that's awesome. That comes from Marty Gardner. And I was just looking up this Keys 100. Of course, it's in the Florida Keys from Key Largo to Key West. So that's a long way to run in 97 degrees. (laughs) Wow. And 100% humidity. (laughs) I am in awe, Marty, of, of you achieving that race, your second 100 miler, and just everything that you've accomplished. You're definitely an inspiration to me. For sure. And speaking of 100 milers, we have an ultra runner on the podcast today. She epitomizes mental toughness and taking on hard challenges. So even if you never plan to do an ultra, um, let alone 100 miles, you're still going to, I think, really enjoy this conversation with Sally, who just shows that you can choose to be strong no matter what your circumstances are. So Angie, what can we tell people about Sally McRae? Um, She is an amazing person. Uh, She's a professional ultra mountain runner located in Southern California. She is married with two teenagers and she co-hosts the Choose Strong podcast with her husband, Eddie. And she has recently released a book that we're going to talk about, the book Choose Strong. And she's made her career about adventure and pushing her limits, as you will hear on this episode. Uh, So for a little bit of context, the book goes into her early years growing up through about age 18. Um, She had significant family trauma and her mother passed away of cancer when Sally was 17. Um, So it kind of talks about the foundations of how she came to the choose strong mentality. And I believe she indicated in the book, there's going to be a part two where she's going to take us from where she left off there to present day. So looking forward to that as well. And at the time of this recording, she was fresh off a 250 mile ultra where her feet just took an absolute beating. 
So here's that conversation with Sally McRae. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my well way. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Well, I think we first talked to you in December of 2021. So it's been about a year and a half. Obviously, a lot has happened in your world since then. Um, yeah. We want to congratulate you on the recent release of your book, Choose Strong, The Choice That Changes Everything. So I'm just kind of wondering what it was like for you to write that book and put your story out there because you had a lot of trauma in your life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what was it like to have to process that? You know, because obviously there's a lot of inner healing that has to happen before you put it out into the world. Yeah, so true. I started writing it actually, it took me, I I think I said this like in the, in the um, prologue, that it took me almost 20 years to write it because yeah, just as you said, there's some inner healing that needs to happen. Um, I come from a big family. And as I say in the book there, like I was treated differently than my siblings. So that, that part is hard. Mm. There was a lot of difficult situations in my childhood that I struggled to understand because you know, on one hand, I have a dad that, you know, I, he's not, he hasn't been a part of my life for a long time, but I had to come to a season where I realized the power of, of forgiveness is, is freedom. And even if someone never says they're sorry or thinks they didn't do anything wrong, you can still forgive. And so I had to get to that place because I had a lot of years where I tried to downplay it. Oh, it wasn't that bad. You want to like make everything seem less than it is. But for me, I, you know, I, I kept journal since the time I was a little girl. The way that I experienced trauma, unfortunately, is I have very specific things that I remember over and over again, and I will yeah. for the rest of my life. Um, and I've been with with Eddie. We've we've been together since we were eighteen. So he's he's watched me grow up. His family's pretty much been my, my family since the time I was 18 years old. So more than half my life. Wow. And there is a lot of things, just even our relationship that I would have reactions to that. I didn't know why I was like that. And, you know, and it'd be little things like being in a grocery store and hearing a parent get really mad at a kid. Like I just would have like these visceral reactions and want to like literally want to go save the kid. Exactly. (laughs) You're like, I've got to rescue them. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Like, so, so, so many things Over the years, as I was writing the book, I realized one of the things I don't want to do, I don't like this idea of like, oh, feel sorry for me. I don't want to put a book out into the world that's like, here's all the sad things that that happened in my life. This is why I'm bitter and angry. And then like raise a fist to all of those issues. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of that out there right now. I I think a lot of what our world is dealing with too, it is deeply rooted in pain. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of pain and hurt. I knew there were seasons in my life that I was like that, that I was angry and I was bitter and I was upset. And like, why did my childhood have to be like this? And why am I still dealing with these things? And so I knew that from the time I really started even on social media, I want to create a place where people can be encouraged. It's like, I want people to understand they're valued, they're loved, they're capable, they're strong. And I think a lot of that stems from not feeling like that for, you know, the first 20 years of my life or warring with that. I think that I had to kind of like throw the book away a couple of times because the original version of it, it was very strong and, and had this very angry tone. And I thought that's not the book I want to put out into the world. So I had to work through all of that. And then I also had to work through a lot of fear 
fear of being sued, fear of, of just like what people would think of the critics. Um, I suffered a lot of just kind of second guessing myself too. Like my story isn't that important or these stories, these aren't that bad or like, you know, or did it really happen that way? And always downplaying myself. And I realized, well, I do that a lot in my everyday life, you know, nothing is ever good enough or like, this isn't, you know, that great. Like, and I had a lot of conversations with Eddie about that, how, wow, when you grow up a certain way and you're always kind of suppressed and you're not seen and you're not valued and, and kind of ignored, it's easy to go and and live your life that way because that's all that you've known. Mm. So that's why it took such a long time to write it was just, you know, it was fear. It was, it was healing. But then in the last couple of years, you know, I was like, I need to finish this thing. And I think that the stories that are weaved in there, at the end of the day, the book is hard to read to a degree, but I didn't want to make the whole book just about me, even though they're, they're stories about my life. Like I wanted that even people who grew up with a great childhood to be able to look and see themselves in there and realize that they are strong and that they can overcome and that no matter how long a season of, of hardship or difficulty that, that you're in, that um, you don't know how the story is going to end. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's on, you know, around the bend. And so far the response has been incredible. It's, it's been an overwhelming week for me, yes. like the weeks <laughs> leading up. Well, I will say having read it, that hope does come through very strongly, your resilience. And I think people are going to be encouraged and uplifted by it. So thank you. I appreciate you reading it. That means a lot to me. Not only have you written a book between now and the last time we talked to you, you've also (laughs) taken on some huge projects. So let's talk about the (laughs) Choose Strong Project. And I'll just have have you explain what that is. First of all, what is the Choose Strong Project? Yeah, it was um, five events over the course of, I think it came out to like 84 days it was. I might be wrong on that exact number. It's so crazy because it was less than a year ago. We've done so much since the conclusion of the Choose Strong Project that I'm like, how has it not even been a year? We have 81 days written down here. 81 days. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Over the course of 81 days, I I chose very specific events that um, in some ways represented different seasons of my life. But last year I turned the age that my mom was when she died. So she was 43 when she passed away. I was 17. Um, and consequently I have a 17 year old daughter, 43 mm. years old. Um, so it was a really, really special time in my life. I have a 15 year old son too. And 15 was the age that I was when she was diagnosed with cancer. So having two kids that are the same age that I was at the most critical kind of painful time in my life was mind boggling to me because I realized, and I've had this conversation with my kids over and over. I'm like, I don't always know what I'm doing as a mom (laughs) because I didn't have that. I didn't, I never got past this point in my life where I had like a healthy mom that was Mm -hmm. right alongside me. And so I wanted to celebrate that. I wanted to celebrate this idea that I had spent some years of my life fearing that I was going to die young like her, that I was going to be sick. Hmm. My life would be shortened, um, that my, my children would, would have to watch their mom pass. I mean, it was a very, you know, very strong fear that I had, but then I chose, I'm not going to live in that fear. I want to live as strong as I possibly can. I want to fill my life with the things that I love and that I'm passionate about. And so this Choose Strong project, I chose it specifically for 2022 because I would be turning 43 and I wanted to honor my mom and just the power um, that she was in my life and, and kind of tell her story, but also as a way to send a message 
to the community that I know is a professional, you know, I've been doing this professionally for 10 years now, and it's really easy to look at the lives that we scroll through on Instagram, in social media and those around us and to think, well, it must be nice for them Mm. because they have A, B, C, and D. And I don't, you know, I'm dealing with this. I'll never have that. Or they were just born this way. I wasn't, I'm not capable. Um, And I think, you know, I've been there so many times in my life, especially early in my life that I I thought I want to set up a project that isn't going to elevate my role as a professional athlete, but is rather going to tell a story that's hard. And and I'm going to be able to relate to people in a new way because the goal for these events was not to get on the podium or to race. The goal was just to get to the finish line. And so I knew that I needed to first choose like incredibly difficult courses. Um, and so the first one was Badwater 135, which that's how the project kicked off, which was insane because it's like one of the toughest races in the world. I mean, that's the tag of it, toughest foot race on the planet. A couple weeks later, I did one of the toughest hundreds in the United States, which is Andrews Crest 100, which has altitude, heat, and insane climbing. Mm. Um, and then like 17 days after that, I did Leadville 100, which um, both Andrews Crest 100 and Leadville 100 only have a 50% finishing rate um, because they have so much extremes within the race. So the first three events were, were within 35 days of each other, um, totaling 335 um, miles. And I think it was like 78,000 feet of climbing within, within all of that. Um, <laughs> I then a couple weeks after finishing Leadville flew to Switzerland. Um, that race I had actually been in, invited to, but I decided to make it a part of the project. Um, we did a, a race in the Swiss Alps. It was about 110 kilometers, um, about 25,000 feet of climbing. And then we came home and 11 days later, um, I became the first woman to double summit um, Mount Whitney from Lone Pine. So it's at the very, very bottom of the mountain. It's the little town that sits at the base of the mountain. And that's the tallest mountain in the lower 48 states. Um, it was a 92-mile trek, 22,000 feet of climbing, and of course, um, in extreme altitude. And the last thing we did, which we did not showcase or chronicle because it was just really personal, was I ran from my childhood home where my mom passed away to her gravesite, but it just so happened to equal out the number of miles that I had set for myself for this project, which the number of miles represented the number of months that my mom lived. So it was 507 months that she lived and I ran 507 miles. So that project thankfully was chronicled and backed by Bear Performance Nutrition. They sent out two incredible um, filmmakers, Drew Darby and Tyler McCain. They became like family to us. They pretty much traveled around the world across country with us for four months chronicling this journey. And then we had a world premiere release of it in Austin, Texas, ran out a little uh, theater out there, had a big event. We had shirts made and the release of the Choose Strong film, which you can see today on, on YouTube. Um, kind of tells that story. I remember watching the film and during the Leadville Trail 100, of course, you have to run all night you know, to yeah. make it. And it's like a 30-hour cutoff. You were pretty tired. And so you just wanted to lay down for 10 minutes Yeah. in a sleeping bag. It's cold. It's in Colorado at elevation. Yeah. And just watching that, I, I, I knew I would have never gotten out of that cot. Like, <laughs> like It looked so warm and cozy compared to what yeah. you were dealing with out on the trail. Oh, and that was like a, a compounded, I, at that point I had run 300 and, and like 
30 miles or 315 miles over the course of 35 days. Like I, mm. I was not recovered. I mean, that was the goal. I was like, I'm purposely putting all these races close to each other because I know I won't be recovered. I won't feel strong. I won't feel like sprightly and like fast and like I'm going to be at every start line with a new struggle. And that is the story that I'm going to tell. And Leadville, I've known about it since the first time that I came into the ultra running scene, but the altitude for how long you're at extreme altitude kind of intimidated me because I have just some natural breathing problems. And so I knew, okay, there'll, there'll be like some struggles. And and that is really what it was. I mean, I, I had been stumbling and falling quite a bit and um, was really dizzy. I wasn't able to keep my uh, core temperature up. And, you know, I remember following my my buddy, Hella Sidibe, like following his voice. He wasn't very far in front of me as I came into that aid station because um, I just kept on falling down. Mm. And when I told Eddie, I was like, if I don't reset here, I'm not finishing this race. Like I wow. can't even tell like what direction I'm walking in anymore. I'm so like out of it, but I'd never experienced that, um, to that degree, like in a hundred mile race. I mean, that's like the distance that I love and that was really difficult, but that finish was one of my favorite finishes of the whole project because, um, there was a lot of overcoming, uh, that had to happen in order for me to to get to that finish line far outside of just being tired. <laughs> it's a whole new level. I mean, Leadville, I've heard, is just incredibly tough, even if you're going into it fresh as your goal race, you know, and then on the heels yeah. of two huge events that you, you really hadn't recovered from, having to mm-hmm. face those new challenges. Yeah, and when you're really having to just decide you're going to be strong when it's not coming naturally, I think no. that's really powerful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I had I had a pretty bad fall on the backside of of um, Hope's Pass again. That was just I was just so dizzy and fell pretty hard. And um, I laid on the ground for a minute, and I just told myself, if if nothing's broken, like we're okay. But it was a pretty bloody wound. But I came into the aid station and Eddie's like, dang, dude, you want to clean that up? And I was like angry. I was like, no, it's a distraction. We're ignoring it. This is like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong. But um, yeah, it was pretty bruised for a couple of weeks after that. But I looked like I had just gone to war by the time I, I crossed the finish line. I, w- I was pretty beat up. I mean, you see that in, in the mm-hmm. film, but... <laughs> it was not not uh, glamorous at all. When you're coming in back into Leadville and you see the finish line, you're running it in and then just coincidentally, like no no really any attention is given to this in the film, but like Courtney DeWalter's there gives you a hug and then you keep going. I'm like, oh, I know who that was. <laughs> yeah, Courtney, and I'm bummed they didn't get Maggie because Maggie was actually running with me for a little bit for like um, 50 meters. She ran like next to me, like cheering me on, like yeah, girl. And um, yeah, Maggie and Courtney were were all good friends. And uh, That's cool. Courtney was out at, at one of the aid stations. I gave her a big hug. I was like, "What the heck are you doing here?" And she lives so close to the finish line. You can mm. walk to her house from the finish line. And um, so yeah, that was that was super fun. There was a lot of awesome spectators along the way. It's neat to see how the whole city comes out for that race and just cheers every person into the finish. It it really is special. If, you know, I know not everyone listening is interested in hundreds. You don't have to be, but the opportunity to crew, pace, volunteer at these races is so inspiring. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ultra community is is something really special. How do you like running in the Alps? You mentioned that you had that ultra in Switzerland. Yeah. You know, in 2016, it was my goal to start racing internationally. 
I was getting invited to races all over the world pretty regularly. And I was like, dude, this is like the best part of my career, man. Like yeah. I will go everywhere. And I remember my coaches <laughs> at the time were like, you were racing way too much. But I was like, but I want to go to South Africa and Australia and New Zealand. Like I, I wanted to go everywhere. So when COVID hit, I was supposed to go to like Portugal and Iceland and Italy mm-hmm. and the race in the Dolomites. I mean, there was like all these races I had on my calendar. And um, so the Alps will always be really precious to me. I'm especially fond of the Italian Alps. So I've done UTMB five times. And the only reason why I've done that race so many times is just because I love those mountains. And every time I come home, I tell Eddie, like, how can we move there? Like, I know that one day I'm going to retire in the Italian Alps in the Aosta Valley. Like, it's just so precious. I love the people and the food. And yeah, so any chance that I... I have gotten to race over there, you know, I I've taken it, but once the world kind of opened up a little bit, I was like, you know, it's been like many years since I've just made my calendar, uh, my race calendar in the United States. And so that's what I've been doing the last two years is picking more, more races in the United States. And that's been really fun. Just getting back into the community here. But yeah, I think at some point in my life, I'll probably find a way to uh, spend my last days in in the Alps. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean. I've always wondered. So when you get invited to these races, do the races typically like pay all the expenses, like your flight and hotels and all that? Yeah, it's everything. I, I racing internationally is different than it is in the United States. And certain countries too take it so seriously. Like you feel like, wow, like everyone here loves this sport and they they (laughs) treat you um, almost like royalty. You know, the way that they um, provide for you and all the stuff they have set up and accommodations that pick you up at the airport. I mean, it's like, it's a big deal. And then of course, all the media that surrounds it. um, And all the international races, it's like they have required gear and like everyone that lines up is like kitted out, whether you're a professional or not, like everyone is like just very serious. Whereas, you know, you go to a race here and it's like, maybe guys are wearing shirts, maybe not. Like maybe like half of us have gear. Like most of us might have a water bottle. Like like, we're just chill. Like we finish the race, we grab a beer, we sit in our fold up chairs, we tell stories. And I love that. I really love that about American racing. It is what you want to make it show up, wear whatever the heck you want. Like if you think you need that much gear, bring that much gear. If you don't, you don't need it. (laughs) And I think that's super cool. So um, there was a learning curve for me when I first started racing internationally, because I am more on the laid back side to then where I was like, oh, I better, (laughs) I better brush my hair before this interview, (laughs) you know, or maybe like not wear like my dirty baseball cap, like every single time I'm like getting a picture taken. Like it was just like getting used to the, the cultural norms of, of trail racing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's evolved too. I mean, it's uh, one of the fastest growing sports in the world. And so that's been Hmm. Really exciting. Overall, the, the sport is just such an incredible way to connect within the world in a real and a raw way outside of our screens. So I'm just excited for the direction it's going. And I hope that, that more people do it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Quick break to thank our awesome sponsor, Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. What's cool is the main active ingredients in Joint Health Plus are clinically proven, and this is what attracted us to the product. They're clinically proven to reduce your joint pain in just 7 to 10 days, and they got tons of testimonials on their website 
In fact, here's one that came in recently from a listener to this podcast named Michael. He says, I started using Joint Health Plus in the startup of training for a marathon. Within a week, I noticed considerable difference in the way I felt. Almost no soreness or aches in my joints, which I normally have as a 50 plus year old man, especially during training. It makes a huge difference. I'm sold. We love hearing that, Michael. Keep up the great work with your marathon training. So do your joints a favor. Keep running strong. Use the code MTA over at Prevenex.com. You'll get 15% off your first order. Prevenex has a no questions asked, 100% money back guarantee where you'll get a full refund. So you have nothing to lose. Except your joint pain. I always got to say that. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA. Well, thanks to our faithful sponsor of the podcast, MetPro. Specifically, MetPro can help you lose weight, build muscle, and improve your energy and performance. Yeah, I definitely had firsthand experience with those three things you mentioned, Trevor. And, you know, one thing that's important to realize is that you kind of approach each goal incrementally, too. So when you're paired up with a MetPro coach, they really help you dig into your primary goals. In fact, I just talked to my coach, Megan, today. We have weekly check-ins, and I felt like with my MetPro coaches that we kind of become friends, actually. So they're not only helping me with my nutrition, they're just really caring people as well. And they also have the MetPro app, which is super handy for tracking the things that you're eating and staying on track with workouts. It's just a really great app. Check them out at metpro.co forward slash MTA. You can jump on a free call. If you decide to work with them, tell them that we sent you. You'll save 500 bucks on their coaching. Metpro.co forward slash MTA. So you're not one to shy away from big challenges. You kind of teased a little bit that your project this year is taking it up to the 200 plus mile level. So you just completed the Cocodona 250. For people who've never heard of it, kind of tell us where it's located, like how you prepared logistically. I mean, it seems like overwhelming to even prepare for a hundred miler, you know, although that's pretty much your comfort zone. But for most people listening to this, they're going to think 250 miles, like what the heck? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you what, when the distance was first released, not a lot of people knew about it. Not a lot of people were doing it people started nudging me like, dude, are you going to do the 200s now? And I was like, heck no. It's so far. Like how much running do you actually do? Like that just mm-hmm. sounds, it's kind of sounds ridiculous. And I was having so much fun doing hundreds and there's so many hundred mile races that I, that I wanted to do. I thought, oh, I'll do 200s later, you know, or maybe never. But um, this past year, I think doing the Choose Strong Project it kind of ignited a, a curiosity about him because I'd, I'd only ever gone 135 miles. The True Strong Project, I was recovering. Like, like my body felt way more amazing than I thought it would in between races. I wasn't recovered, but I, I was amazed that I wasn't like hobbling. I didn't get injured at all. It was, oh, okay. Like, I, I think I can actually go pretty far. And I've always been fascinated with through hikers. So I, I have so much respect for people that are out on the trail for weeks at a time and, and how they carry those heavy packs and, um, and even maybe a little jealous that they could just be in the mountains for weeks on end just with a, with a pack and a tent, you know, like yeah. so cool. So I think 200s, they definitely mesh a through hiker and an ultra runner. If you only through hike, like you can definitely do these 200s because most of them have such long cutoff times that Hmm. you could get away with doing like 50, 55 miles a day, which might sound like a lot to through hiker, but you have to remember there's aid stations, there's drop bags, you can have crew, you're not carrying a 40 pound pack, you know, that much weight definitely slows you down. And so you could do 200s like fast hiking. 
And, hmm. um, you know, it starts Monday morning. You have until Saturday at, at noon for Cocodona. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a 125-hour cutoff. So, yeah, the approach to it was really mysterious to me because I thought, well, I'm not going to be naive and think that I can train for these things the same way I do for a 100-mile race. And I can't be naive and think that just because I've done hundreds my whole career that I'm even be good at these. <laughs> um, you see that in ultras. You see road marathoners that are fast and like, oh, yeah, I'm going to smash this 50-miler. And they're literally walking at 30 miles, right? <laughs> like, that's cool. Yep. You can run at 240 on the road, but like that doesn't mean that you can run through mountains and through streams, you know, there's a learning curve to everything we do, whether it's pacing, getting used to the gear, getting used to the food, running at night, the changing weather and terrain. I mean, there's a lot to be respected. And I wanted to go into my first 200 with the mindset of a student. I'm going to learn everything that I can during the training. I'm going to learn in this race. And I I want to grow in this distance. I want to discover it because it was so mysterious to me. So I decided to sign up for four of them. And um, by doing that, I entered the Grand Slam series of 200. So it is Cocodona 250, which starts in Phoenix, Arizona, it's a point to point that ends in Flagstaff. So you're, you're running through places like Jerome and Sedona and Prescott, and you're running through desert, high altitude, through rivers, rocky sections, roads, neighborhoods. I mean, it's, it's one of the most beautiful adventures. I'd have to say hands down as of today, like my favorite race I've ever done. It was such wow. an amazing experience. Uh, the next one is Tahoe 200. It originally was June 16th, but there's so much snowpack around Lake Tahoe. But that one is now at the end of July. So July 21st, I'll be doing that. The same race director puts on Bigfoot 200, which is usually then two and a half months after Tahoe 200, but now it's two weeks after Tahoe 200. So I'm not looking forward to that. Bigfoot 200 apparently is one of the toughest ones in the 200 races. Um, And that one is up in Washington. You're going to be going through like Mount St. Helens, a lot of rugged areas that that people don't typically hike. Um, I think there's even some private property in there, but it's supposed to be so beautiful. I mean, the PNW in the summer is unreal. Yes. And then uh, there's Moab 240 in October, and that is in the beautiful Red Rocks of of Utah, um, which most people are familiar with that. I mean, it's pretty iconic to Utah. It's just Mm -hmm. very unique terrain that you can only find in specific specific places on the planet. And, um, yeah, so running 240 miles in that area is, is going to be pretty, pretty awesome. So <laughs> the goal is to do something different every race and just to learn to grow. You know, um, I think when I first started running ultras, there wasn't a lot out there with how to train for hundreds, a lot of really funny training plans and unconventional <laughs> ways. We're all trying to figure it out. That's where the 200s are right now, too. Mm -hmm. There are so many variables that I don't even know if there'll ever be like a very specific way to train for it because food and sleep are involved, whether you Mm -hmm. want it to be or not. And we are all different in that. So for those of you listening that are interested in 200s, if you're one of those crazies that gets to do life on four and five hours and you're a rock star at that, which I just think is just a special gift uh, to have, like 200s are your jam, dude. Like you will you will crush these things. Um, but out, outside of that, it's uh, just learning to keep going no matter what because you that's a lot of ground to cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you drive 200 miles, you feel that. You're like, dude, when are we getting out of the car? Like, exactly. this is a long car ride. So um, being on your feet for that long is – it's very different from 100. I, I, you can't 
compare the two. Uh, we put a film out on it called uh, Every Step Forward. And that was one of the things I said in the opening was, these aren't ultras. These are epics. It's it's beyond an ultra. It's mm-hmm. it's literally an epic adventure. And, you know, if it's something that that you think about doing, it would be fun to do it with a friend. It would be fun to put on your bucket list at least once. They are expensive too. I'll be candid about that. Um, you know, I thankfully was in, invited by the race directors to do these. And so I don't take that lightly because doing four of them is very expensive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're looking at like a $2,000 investment when all is said and done in order to do these races. So, but it, some people use it as their vacation. They'll take the whole <laughs> yes. family out. There's some people that will stay in hotels along the way. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to approach it like that because you're, you're asking your crew to take a week off. You're taking a week off of work or that's your vacation time you're using. So it, it is a unique event because of the money and time invested, but the experience is 100% worth it. Mm-hmm. You're really talking it up well. <laughs> yeah. For something that's going to involve so many extremes, you know, mountains, deserts, rivers, yeah. hot, cold, <laughs> sleeplessness. <laughs> Lots of good food. I, can't, I ate so much food. I was eating pizza and lasagna. I mean, I was like eating stuff I never eat when I race. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, you got because to. Because you can't go for calories. just days and days on gels and, you know, the simple no. sugars. You've got to have... Have more substantial stuff. Go for days on just salads. <laughs> yeah. Just broccoli. Broccoli, just a lot of fiber. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That'll digest well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like who's having the green diarrhea along the yeah. course? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll definitely learn really quick what does work and doesn't work out there. Definitely stay away from the vegetables. <laughs> Would that be considered like a, a stage race? No. So I've done a stage race before and stage races are super fun. Uh, One of the most popular ones here in the United States is Trans Rockies. That's a legit stage race. The company is setting up a campsite for you at the end of each day. You hang out with your friends, you have a barbecue, there's a masseuse there, you're kicking up your feet. That's what I want. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, those are super fun. I did one down in Chile. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, dude, I had the best time. And every day we ran a 50K. It was like five days long. You run a 50K each day, but it, stage races are different. You have structured sleep and a very structured, specific section of the course that you do each day. Okay. So with the 200 mile races, it's up to you. Cocodona had nine sleep stations. You could sleep at every one if you wanted, or you could keep on going, but they're just inside the aid stations. So that one, the aid stations are like, you know, if, if you've been to a 100 mile race, like a buffet. And you've seen the aid stations, yeah, it's like a buffet. <laughs> it's like uh, even better at the 200s. So in Sedona, mile 140, I think it was. Um, I had like a bacon cheeseburger. There was pancakes. I mean, I, it was so much amazing food. And then the huge, um, hall had like 50 cots in it. So if, you know, if you want it and it was like air conditioned and there was bathrooms, some places have showers. I met a lot of people that were doing it entirely alone. Wow. No pacers, no crew. Mm-hmm. You, you definitely can do them alone. So people who maybe follow you on social media might have seen some gnarly pictures of your feet after this race. And you said that you never Sorry. had problems with your feet before. I mean, I'm, I'm a nurse, so They're gruesome so pictures bad. don't bother me. But, you know, maybe a forewarning for people who are squeamish. Um, yeah. And you said that that started about mile eight. Is that correct? Yeah. So We're I mean, talking about during your 250 miler. Yeah. So mile eight, yeah. you realized that 
something's not going right with your feet. It's like, how did that play out for you? There, there was two things that had to happen in that moment. The, the first thing was I had to take 100% responsibility for the problem that was happening or else my mind would have gone into a really negative mindset. I think it's really easy when things are going wrong to like want to blame the universe. Like, it's just not my day. Why does this always happen to me? Like, this sucks. And, and, and I've had my fair share of DNFs. So I want to make that clear to everyone listening. Like, I've had my fair share of DNFs where I'm like, you know, it just wasn't the day I trained for. Then I'm like, dude, that sucks, man. <laughs> like, okay, it wasn't the day I trained for, but maybe it was the day I was supposed to have. Because I think that in every setback, our failures, the challenges, you can learn so much. And I think in that moment when I realized what I had done, so I've worn Belega socks for years. I had a good friend introduce them to me. Um, I still am a big fan of them. And so I had stocked up on socks and we had a whole mess of gear for like a month in my front room. It w- it took up two different couches <laughs> and um, it was a mess. <laughs> What had happened was my Belega socks came and I did not wash them. So I had had gear coming in throughout the week. Like Nike had sent me like our, the brand new kit that came out. And then like Bear Performance Nutrition was sending me a bunch of nutrition. So what was going on in, in the thick of it was stuff was coming in. Eddie and I would undo the boxes and we'd throw stuff into their piles. Well, I did not wash my socks. And these particular socks, they're they're colorful and they were very slippery. You have like the color dyes. And so after the race, I did a bunch of research on that too. And I came across a few through hikers that had talked about the um, detriments and the reasons why people get blisters and foot care and things you can do. And this one particular article talked about sometimes the um, chemicals in the dye on socks can irritate your skin. Well, this has never happened to me before. I wash everything. I tried everything in my training. I mean, I think I spent like six weeks at least wearing the same thing that I wore on race day Mm -hmm. in every long run. And so um, getting to the race, we got up like at three o'clock in the morning. I had a pile of socks, but they're all the same socks, all everything that I had tried. And those were the socks that I put on, the Belega socks that weren't washed. The bad luck of the draw. It is. (laughs) Yeah. And I know um, in the shoes I was wearing, I was so confident. I mean, they're the same shoes I've worn for 10 years. So the wild horse is my shoe. But when I was probably four miles in, I was like, man, like my feet are sliding in my shoe. Like what the heck? And I thought maybe it's the terrain, but the terrain out on Cocodona wasn't new to me. I'm very used to running in desert terrain and I've raced all over the world. So for me, crossing rivers, getting my feet wet, isn't new to me. And I I've never experienced any problems. I mean, I've run in races where my feet are wet the entire race and, and my feet have been fine. So I think what happened was my feet started sliding, which then created more than a blister. Like the skin just started wearing away. And at mile eight in that aid station, I put a blister covers like on my, the backs of my heels. And then I think I had one on my pinky toe at this time in the end, I ended up having 10 
feet wounds because oh, wow. then Man. they just weren't blisters anymore. When the skin is is gone, it's like a wound. <laughs> yeah. Well, then it then it became a problem. And regardless of my ten years of racing, I always carry blister stuff with me. I mm-hmm. always do the prevention. I take really good care of my feet, and so I I know what to do. So in this in this moment, like I had the lube, and so I put like the bandages, these special bandages that are blister specific, and I then told myself at my eight. I'm not going to see Eddie until mile 37. And the next aid station is just a water stop. So I have 30 miles that I need to not focus on what's going on in my feet because I've done everything that I can to care for them. Mm-hmm. So even if I kept on stopping, like what, what doesn't, what I'm going to do, keep on putting bandages on them. There's already bandages on them. So I knew that I had to just kind of compartmentalize that in that moment. Whereas the other side of me was like, I'm going to now freak out be so angry. I can't believe my race is beginning like this. I can't believe this happened. I trained so hard. You know, why is this happening to me? And I just had that conversation with myself. And so uh, one of the things that I do, which I think is a great race strategy is I latched on to a group of people. I was passing people, but then I came across this girl that I was moving faster than her. And then I thought I'm going to climb with her. And I did for like 20 miles. And she was so lovely and had such a great disposition. We got a along really well. And we moved really well together. And I just felt like that was kind of a saving grace because I just didn't focus on my feet anymore. I was like, I'm going to focus on getting to know this runner. (laughs) And we had like such a great time. I think running with that idea of like, I'm I'm just going to focus on getting to Eddie and I know I can take care of things there. But once I got to him, uh, we took off my shoes and socks and I thought, oh man, like this is... I'm I'm in for it for for the rest of the You've race. You've got 200 so. more miles of this. Yeah, <laughs> more. Yeah. 213 wow. more miles to go. <laughs> so I know there isn't like a one size fits all decision matrix, but do you have any tips on how to decide whether to continue a race or when to pull out, especially when you're experiencing some kind of physical pain or discomfort? Mm-hmm. That's a great great question. For sure. I mean, my, my very first hundred back in 2012, um, halfway into the race, I realized, you know, I had a stress fracture in my leg. I thought it was shin splints. And then, um, we did a few little, there's a few little tests that you can do. Yeah. Little things. And I was like, oh crap. And that was before I was competitive or anything. I was just figuring out the sport. And I, you know, I look back a lot at, at some of the decisions I've made over the years where I, I have pushed through some pretty significant pain to get to the finish line. I mean, I finished that race too in, in fourth place, but the next day I was in crutches. Mm-hmm. Um, would I do that over again? I don't know. Like probably, I probably would. <laughs> and and I, I'd say to my listeners, I think the the first and foremost is understanding that like pain is like, it feels so different for all of us. One of the reasons why is because of like our foundation and our starting point. So for me, I, I've grown up as a lifelong athlete in a certain setting where um, I absorb physical pain just differently. It's it's something about me that that's how it will always be for the rest of my life. Um, I realized that in different situations, um, like when I was having my kids, I had emergency C-sections with both my kids, but the doctors 
because of my pain tolerance, the doctors were always like, how did you not feel this? Or like, how you, you didn't know you were in transitional labor. Like you almost lost your daughter. Like, but for me, I just go into like a different place in, in extreme pain sometimes. And so I think that what I've come to learn is like, you can't judge someone for DNFing in a race because that one blister hurt so bad or like their ankle hurt or their knee hurt or their IT bands or whatever. You you have to get to a point in your racing where what you are doing has nothing to do with what other people think of you. Mm. It has nothing to do with your value. Um, you are not better or worse if you finish the race. If you finish a race, it, it should be for a reason that is meaningful to you and you alone. You will always have your critics and you'll always have people that give you um, compliments and flattery and, and be in awe of you. But like if you do those things, either for the compliments, that's going to be empty too. And I think that that is what's helped me in races is this, I'm doing this not for any type of increase in value or to prove anything to anyone. It's because it, it means so much to me. Mm. Or it's because like in this moment in Cocodona, I was discovering something about myself that I didn't know I was capable of doing. I'd never had my feet like this before ever yeah. in my life. Like when people have talked about blisters, I mean, I've really had a handful of them, but my feet were so bad and they got continually worse as time went on that I realized that what I was doing was I was slowing down, but I was still moving. And I kept asking myself that like, wow, like I actually am still able to move. And I would say to people listening, you also have to remember that your love for the sport, can you continue beyond this in this injury? And that was always yes for me. Mm -hmm. If my bone was sticking out of my skin, would I want to keep doing it? No. Like what, why, why, why would I do that? You right. know, like it's just going to be way worse and maybe a permanent damage. I love running and what I do too much. If I had rhabdo or my organs were failing, like I would have not continued. And mm -hmm. I think that that is what is important for us personally is you weigh those things for yourself and um, you don't compare yourself to others. And I think that what was hard for you when you were 10, whether it's in discomfort, you know, whether you're, you're lifting weights, that five pound dumbbell was really hard to lift, but now you're up to a 15 pound dumbbell. It, pain is the same way. You, when you endure a little bit of discomfort, you realize, okay, I'm a little bit stronger than that. Okay. That's my starting point now. Okay. I'm going to endure a little more, but we build on that over the years and we build on that in our experiences. So I think that instead of questioning, you know, why people feel the pain that they're in, ask with graciousness, where is that person in their journey mm. and show compassion for that or see it as like, wow, I can get to that too. And I think in the film, that was one of the biggest messages we wanted to get across is it wasn't this extraordinary thing that I did. This is what humans are capable of doing. I don't have special body parts. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I still feel it all. Like I cried out there. Like I was exhausted. Like I had moments where I asked myself, how on earth am I going to even take another step? And, mm. but being able to get to the finish line, that celebration was, oh my gosh, look what we can do. Humans are so capable of overcoming again and again and again. For people listening, 
Um, this is definitely just a, a very gracious message to you that you embrace the starting point of where you are at uniquely and be proud of it. You know, mm-hmm. what I can endure today is definitely not what I was able to endure 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's, I think that's the exciting part is we, we keep growing, we keep getting stronger. Yeah. Good stuff. How long did it take for your feet to heal up after all that? There's a, a scene in the, uh, the film where they're trying to just slowly peel your socks off uh, without taking too much skin with, <laughs> with the sock. I'm like, oh, this is, this is not good. It's funny because in that scene, before we got back to the hotel, that's literally like 30 minutes after crossing the finish line. Wow. Before okay. we got back, Drew was like, Sally, you know we have to get the feet. I was like, oh, I know, I know. I know we're getting the feet. And I was like, are you guys okay with seeing my feet? Exactly. <laughs> You're not going to like pass out here. Yeah. Like some people are like, I don't even like seeing people's feet in sandals. Like I don't, you know, like you get like, and then you get people that love feet a little bit too much. And you're like, so is it true? Like he was teasing me. He's, he's like, yeah, feet are just weird. Like, especially when you put on the internet, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're good filmmakers. They're, they're yeah. interested in getting the shot, the money shot. Yeah. yeah. And they very specifically did not get my whole feet. So mm-hmm. you do not see the worst of it. You get the idea in the description notes of the film, I put a link. If you want to see it, here it is. Like, if you, be warned. if you really want to understand what I was running on, I'm sorry in advance, but here's the picture. So um, <laughs> that was a very real, raw emotion. And um, and Eddie is, is just so gentle and had so much compassion for me in that whole race. It was really hard for him to see me mm-hmm. like that because he normally doesn't ever see me like that. Like he was kind of shocked at just what was going on. So yeah, um, taking off the the shoes and socks was not fun for any of us. I mean, Tyler and Drew too were just like, oh my gosh, dude. Like it was, it was a little nauseating. It was so bad that I couldn't even tend to them completely. Like I had, I put them up on some pillows, uh, socks were still kind of hanging off of them and I fell asleep for a few hours. And then I got up and I had to soak them in a, in a tub for a while. And we got, had to use scissors to cut off the sock pieces mm-hmm. um, and then soak them some more and then kind of slowly peel away everything from the feet. So yeah, it was gnarly. We had one and two layers missing the mm. back of my heel, the right heel was the worst. It actually turned into an ulcer. I think mm. it was like a grade two or three ulcer. So it took three and a half weeks of three times a day cleaning them. I couldn't believe how much I had to spend on bandages because you mm-hmm. had to change constantly changing all these bandages. It took three weeks before I could put on running shoes. But if you look at my feet right now, they, they don't look pretty. They are healed. And then I only have to wear one bandage now. So now it's, it's been a solid month since yeah. the race. But um, I'm back, you know, logging miles and back in the mountains training. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. So you chose not to put the full shot of the feet into the film just, just because. Yeah. We didn't want YouTube to take it down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We thought that um, that actually was a real discussion too. Of, yeah, definitely. 
it was so graphic. Mm-hmm. And because I told you, I was like, well, don't you want to put it in the credits? Like you should show in the credits, like what my feet mm-hmm. look like. He's like, honestly, Sally, I think it's a little bit too graphic. Mm-hmm. And the feedback that we have been getting is like, some people can't even handle that opening scene. Wow. Um, people wow. say that they are like cringing and they're just like, that was too much. Or like, wow, you can feel the pain or, oh my gosh. So I'm like, okay, I guess it was a good balance of you, you see some of it, but you don't, you don't see all of it. And if you do you click the link, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Angie's going to go and immediately click the link. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the pictures on Instagram already. And I think you had, there was like a sensitivity warning on them that you had to click past. So <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go. That one's pretty Wow. <laughs> Man. Well, it's been an honor to talk to you, Sally. Congrats on the new book and mm-hmm. the films and all the epic things that you've been doing. If people want to go and find out more about you and order the book, where are some good places to send them? Yeah. I mean, you can always go to my Instagram. That's probably where I'm the most active. I'm Yellow Runner. Type in my name or Yellow Runner. And you can get to my YouTube. You can get to my book, my podcast. Um, and then, of course, the film. Um, I think both films are up there. The Choose Strong mm-hmm. Project film and then the Every Step Forward film. Yeah, it's the best way to to keep up with me. And then, of course, SallyMcCray.com. All right. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And good luck as you ease back into training for your next adventure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll definitely be following more. you. A <laughs> couple more 200 milers. Couple three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three more. So I'm, I'm excited. All right. Well, it was nice speaking with Sally McRae again. Definitely check out her book, Choose Strong, and also the films that they have over on YouTube. You can watch her work through these challenges that she described. You can just really see in the moment. She just had to keep pushing, even though in the case of Cocodona, there was like excruciating pain with every step. Yeah. In fact, the um, film is called Every Step Forward that documents (laughs) Cocodona 250. So check that out on YouTube. Also, the film, The Choose Strong Project, about the way she honored her mother's legacy. They're both very inspiring and, you know, they make you just want to test your own limits and get out there. And long distance running gives us the opportunity to keep testing our limits Of course, it's a good idea to train wisely to avoid injury and overtraining and burnout and so forth. So if we can help you in your training to remove some of the guesswork and really get yourself to that level of performance that you know you're capable of, come on over to MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. You can learn more about our coaching program, academy membership, our training plans, all kinds of good stuff. That's it for this episode. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.